Hey, I want to welcome you today to the last week of our Heroes Message series. Been having fun here at South Bay as we've been looking at the lives of several heroes from the Bible. And what we've seen is that they're ordinary people like you and I who made mistakes, they had flaws and failures, yet they were heroic in that they let God live in and through their lives. They were the kind of people that had the courage to stand when everyone else cowered in fear. And today we're going to have some fun as we look at the life of Daniel, who was a man of heroic integrity found in the Old Testament of the Bible. And today as we look at this subject of integrity, I think it'd be fun to do an experiment and figure out what kind of grade we would give ourselves as it relates to integrity. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and tell anybody or shout your number, but I want you to give yourself an integrity number from 0 to 10. 0 would be a guy like Bernie Madoff, who stole millions upon millions of dollars from people in their retirement account. 10 would be a guy like Billy Graham, who's worked in ministry for decades and has lived with impeccable integrity. Not that he's perfect, but he has lived with integrity nearing the end of his life. Where would your grade be? And I want to ask you to write it down. Nobody looking around, cheating to try to figure out what somebody else's number. Go ahead and write it down. Ready, set, go now. And my guess is that if we were to pull together all of these numbers and we were to throw them on the screen, there would be a conglomeration of numbers more towards the upper middle, that there would be very few zeros, ones, twos, threes, probably even very few fours, and there would be hardly any tens because nobody wants to say that they're Billy Graham or like God himself, and we would put ourselves more in that upper middle. But let's say that we could do the same experiment for a spouse, somebody you're dating, God forbid, a co-worker or a boss, what grade would you give them? My guess is that the grade that we give to ourselves in comparison to what we give to others would be much, uh, the grade that we give to others in comparison to the grade that we give ourselves would be much lower compared to what they deserve or what we deserve. Let me say it like this. When we think about the subject of integrity, we have a tendency to judge other people based upon their outcomes. But when we think about ourselves, we judge ourselves based upon our intentions. Because there's always a reason why I need to cut corners. There's always a small reason why I need to fudge some numbers. And as it relates, we hold other people to higher account than oftentimes we hold ourselves to. And here's where this is really important with the subject of integrity. Because for many of us, we're letting ourselves off the hook for decisions that are seemingly small that we should be holding ourselves to the fire for. And the cumulative effect of cutting small corners in the small stuff is this life that deviates from the kind of integrity that God wants each of us to live with. And what we're going to see from the life of Daniel is that integrity never happens on accident. It's never a decision that is just made in the heat of the moment and temptation. It's a decision that always is preceded by multiple decisions and one decision where the stake is placed into the ground of what will or what will not be compromised in order to get what we want. So let's have some fun looking at the life of Daniel. But let me say this. I believe that this message it is of utter importance for all of us that, 
this message could be the salvation of somebody's marriage. It could be you looking into the eyes of your spouse 30 years from now, knowing that you've been faithful to them all the way through the decades or looking into their eyes with great shame and regret. It could be the difference between handing in a paper to a professor with angst and and all kinds of anxiety, knowing that you might get caught because you cut and paste from the internet and plagiarize versus handing it in, knowing that you worked your tail off and you gave your very best. It could be singles, the difference between you standing at the altar with your future spouse, looking him or her in the eyes, knowing that you have been pure, that you've held yourself for this moment, or having all of these relationships trailing behind you coming to that moment. See, listen, all of us will stand account before a living God. All of our lives will end at some point. The death rate, last time I checked, is hovering right around 100%. And when we stand before a living God, there will be a story that is told about our lives and there will be an account for the decisions that we made. And the question is, what is the story you want to have told about your life? And what is the account that you will be that you will give before God? And I believe with all my heart that this is a hope giving life giving message that can change the trajectory of our lives and our hearts if we will let God speak into us. So let's dive in to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, I want to lay the context of what is happening with this man of heroic integrity. Daniel has been transported from Jerusalem all the way over to the greatest nation in the world at the time called Babylon. And Daniel is a part of a select group of men and women who have been selected in order to be trained and become leaders in the nation of Babylon. Daniel rises to power on three separate occasions under three separate kings. In fact, in Daniel chapter 6, when we pick up the story, King Darius has appointed what is called 120 satraps who are leaders over Babylon. Within the 120 satraps are three more advisors, and above them is one person, and that one person is Daniel. Daniel is an Israelite who's a foreigner in charge of the whole nation of Babylon, the greatest nation in the world. And everybody around him, they get what often happens to those who rise to power even today in the 21st century. They get a little bit of jealousy about the fact that Daniel has all this influence. Uh, They're a little bit upset that he's over them and he's a foreigner and So they try to reconcile their jealousy with Daniel by doing something that is pretty vicious and wicked. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 4. Scripture says that the administrators and the satraps tried to find charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. No cork in his bat, no roids on the side. It's not juicing to try to get the ball over the edge of the field. He's impeccable. He's trustworthy. He's not negligent. There's nothing in Daniel's character that they can 
pin on him except for his faith in God. That he was so passionate in his pursuit of God. His prayer and his devotion was the only thing that stood out about his life. And they knew that the only way they could get this guy to fall is if somehow it related back to his faith in God. So these wicked men got a grand old idea that they were going to cause Daniel to fall. And we see in verse number 6 it says, So the administrators and the satraps, they went together as a group. They're going to deliver some news to the king. Not one individual, but it's everybody together trying to convince the king. And this is what they're going to do. They start off and they say, Oh, King Darius. Now, you know, anytime somebody comes to you and they put O before your name, there's something going on a little bit behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, they say this, Live forever. You're the best. You're the greatest. Never been another king like you. And the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. Every single one of us, we're all on the same page with this. You're the best, you're the greatest, and we've got this new innovative strategy for our kingdom. And we want you to hear all about it. And he makes a statement. We've agreed that the king should issue a decree or an edict and enforce it that anyone who prays to any God or man during the next 30 days, like after 30 days is up, it's over and we're back to normal. But for these 30 days, except to you, if there's any prayer, O king, they shall be thrown into the lion's den. The den with hungry lions. Yes, they are carnivores. And they eat humans or anything that is flesh that is fed to them. O King Darius, we think you should issue a decree that if anybody prays to anybody aside from you, they should be thrown into the lion's dead and lose their life. And they've got this great strategy nailed down because here's what this means for Daniel, the man that they're jealous towards, that they hate. Either he's going to turn his back on God or he's going to lose his life. It's a conundrum. What's he going to do? So in verse number nine, King Darius puts the decree in writing. He stamps it. There's no changing it. And then in verse number 10, we see the response of Daniel. Now, I just want to think for a second. If we're Daniel in this story, what are you doing? I mean, I know I'm trying to figure out a way to get out of this. I'm negotiating with God. God, I'll pray to you in my heart. You know my heart. You see my intentions. God, please somehow change this rule, this edict. Or I'm trying to converse with the king. Uh, king Darius, could you just like make an exception for me? Or could you change the rule? Could you do something a little bit different? Because now I have to turn my back on God and I can't worship him and follow him. Or, or I'm thinking, man, maybe I can find like a Maserati or a Lamborghini and just jet out of that place even if I have to steal it from somebody to get out of here so I don't get thrown into the lion's den. Of course, for him, it was probably a horse. But I'm thinking, if I can get out of there and not be thrown into this predicament, yet Daniel, but Daniel, does something radically different. And the scripture says, Now, when Daniel had learned the decree had been published, I'm sure in that moment there was great sorrow, knowing that his obedience to God could cost him his life. 
his integrity could mean the end of his leadership and ultimately spending a little bit of time in the dens with the lions before the end of his life. See, the stakes in this moment were pretty high for Daniel to live with integrity. And I know that sometimes the stakes seem pretty high for us when it comes to the choice of living with integrity. That for you or for me or for us to cut a corner could mean the loss of some sales deal that we've been working on for months. Or or it could mean that we don't get that promotion that we've been hoping to get. Or, Or our integrity, if we choose it, could mean the ending of a friendship that we've had for years. And the weight, oftentimes, of the choice to live with honesty and integrity can feel overwhelming to us. And the question is, what is Daniel going to do? Not when the stakes are the loss of a promotion. Not when the stakes are the loss of a friendship. When the stakes for him are the loss of his life. What is Daniel going to do? And the scripture says that Daniel, when he heard the news, went home to his upstairs room. Place he sleeps every night. A place he's been many times before, thousands upon thousands of days preceding this moment. Daniel, the scripture says, goes home to his upstairs room. And in this moment, scripture says, he opens wide the windows towards Jerusalem. The Mecca for the Israelites. The place that they would face when they would worship And they would pray to God. Daniel opens up the windows facing Jerusalem up in his room where he had been thousands upon thousands of times before. And the scripture says three times a day. Not once, not twice, but three times a day. Daniel opens wide the windows to Jerusalem. And I know going back to the struggle he must have had in that moment. I'm thinking to myself one time a day, God, that's enough with the windows closed. But Daniel, scripture says, goes opens them wide three times a day. And I love how the passage says he gave thanks to his God. If I'm in Daniel's shoes at this moment, I'm complaining to God. I've been faithful to you, God. Under three separate kings, I've lived with integrity. And now you and your sovereignty allow this stupid decree to be passed that I could be thrown into a lion's den. God, what is your problem? Why didn't you stop this? But the scripture says, Daniel goes with the windows open wide on his knees before God. And he said, God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you love me, that you are worthy of adoration and praise. My heart is filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude for who you are and what you've done for me, even if it means the end of my life. And then there's this end statement that is such a clue to the life of Daniel and what it means to live a life of integrity in the 21st century. He says, the scripture says, just as he had done before. In that moment, Daniel does the exact same thing that he had done thousands upon thousands of moments before. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What is it about a man such as Daniel that allows him to stand in the face of death and be true, to live with integrity? 
I mean, we know when we unpack this subject that integrity is literally the integration of every component of our lives. A good way of saying this that is, if somebody is a person of integrity, the closer you get to them, the better their life looks. Not so much physically, but spiritually, relationally with their character. The closer you get, the better they look. What is it that allows one man to go away on a business trip and when no one else is looking and he can linger a little bit longer at the bar to have a conversation with a woman who's not his wife or go back to his room and turn on a movie that he knows he should not watch. Why is it that one man will choose to negate his integrity when no one is seeing, when another person won't even have an appointment with somebody who's not their spouse? Why is it that one person will fudge numbers to make five or ten extra thousand dollars on a business deal, but another person won't even compromise their integrity for a 30, how many of her, 40-something cent stamp? Why is it that when no one is watching, one person loves and invests in their children and another person compromises their integrity. One person, when they're all alone, flips open the computer and internet pornography is on it. Another person, when nobody is looking, keeps the computer closed or keeps their eyes focused on the work that needs to get done. Why is it that one person, when the stakes are high and the pressure is on, stands and another person crumbles? They throw in the towel. They choose to violate and compromise their character and their integrity. See, I believe that the secret is found way back when in Daniel chapter 1. In fact, when you go back there, the scripture says in chapter 1, the king assigned them, talking about this young group of leaders that had been brought into Babylon from Israel, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. There it goes, like wine is right there in the Bible. They're like the San Francisco Bay Area. It was big. It was a part of their culture. But for Daniel, in this moment, to eat the food that was at the king's table, not the wine, but the meat, had maybe been sacrificed to a foreign god. And so for him to partake in the king's food would be to defile the law of God. And the scripture says that here Daniel is to be trained for three years. And after this, he's going to enter into the king's service. Not like six-week boot camp. Three years of training before he'll go into the king's service. And among these were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the scripture says, but Daniel... Do you notice how it doesn't say anybody else's name in this passage? It says, but Daniel. All these other men are given the same choice to compromise that Daniel is given in chapter 1, verse number 8. But the scripture says, But Daniel, in this moment, resolved not to defile himself. There was this resolution, a stake in the ground, a line in the sand. Scripture says that he resolved not to defile himself and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself according to the law of his God. Friends, listen to me. In this moment, how big were the stakes? Not nearly as large as this later moment when Daniel was given the choice either to negate his integrity and compromise his faith in God or lose his life. 
When the stakes were seemingly small, Daniel made the choice to stay true to his values and live with honesty and integrity. And here's the thrust or the the apex or the principle that I want to drive home with you that is most important today, and it's this. That cutting corners for us, if you're taking notes, please write this down. When stakes are small leads to a great big fall and staying true when only God sees leads to a life of integrity. Jeremiah, I'm sorry to do this to you, man. I'm like way, I'm way behind where the questions. Thank you. It seems like a play, doesn't it? It's like a play and there's an interruption right in the middle of the play and we're going to keep going. I'm so sorry, man, to do that to you, but um, I still got a couple more minutes. I'm preaching good, so I can't just finish it right yet. So... Um, <laughs> So, in this moment, Daniel is given the opportunity all the way back at the beginning of chapter 1 to cut corners and Daniel stays true when the stakes are seemingly small. And let me just bring it back to this. That for so many of us, as it relates to our integrity... That we, we let ourselves off because we see our intentions for the things that are seemingly small. The white lies, the, the cheating on a test with the answers on our hands, the, the secret relationship that's growing and it's just a little bit of a look in that person's eyes, but it's, it's not so much a compromise of us sexually or with our purity. It's just a little innocent relationship And then we get to the moment when the pressure is on, when the heat is in front of us, when it's overwhelming to us. At this moment, then the great big fall comes because the compass of our values and truth has not been that which has navigated our lives when the stakes were small. That the same compass, the same moral compass that Daniel used in chapter 1 was the same moral compass that Daniel used in chapter 6 when he stood true before the king and he got thrown into a lion's den and it could cost him his life, but the scripture says that the angel of the Lord closed the mouth of the lions and the next morning when the king came back and he realized what he had done, he opens up and Daniel is standing there petting the lions and he says, come on out, let's worship your God and he throws the other men into the den. See, Daniel is delivered by his God, but the moral of the story is not the deliverance, it's the choice that Daniel makes to stand true initially in chapter 1 and to stay true in chapter 6 when the stakes are high. And I believe with all my heart that this is a moment that can be a defining moment for your marriage, for you who are singles, for those of you who are pursuing a career, that this can be a defining moment where we put a stake in the ground and we draw a line in the sand to say, no matter how big, no matter how high the cost, God, I will live with integrity. Now, I want to ask you two very, very important questions just to let them linger in your heart. See, I think that it ultimately, all of us have to look with this hindsight on our lives to realize that there's going to be a point where it's over. There's going to be a point When we stand before God and there's a funeral and ashes are spread to the sea or our body goes back into the ground and our soul goes somewhere, there's going to be a point where people are standing around a casket and they're going to be talking about your life. 
The question is, what is the story that you want to have told about your life? What is the wake that you want to follow, the legacy that people are speaking about? And more importantly than this, when you stand before a living God, what is the story that you want to say to Him? That I took everything that you gave me and I lived according to your truth the best that I knew how. And what we see in the scriptures is that God's going to ask us two questions. He's going to ask us a question of salvation, which is what did you do with the message of my son? And he's going to ask us the question of stewardship, which is what did you do with the life that I gave to you? One's a question of salvation, the other is a question of stewardship. And he's going to ask you, what is the account that you will give to God for the life that he has asked you to live? And nail it down today. This is the story I want told to future generations. This is what I want my kids and my grandkids to hear about my legacy. This is the wake that I want to leave of my life. And to make a choice in this moment, that which will be compromised and that which you are unwilling to compromise, which leads me to my second question, and it's this. What are you willing to compromise in order to get what you want? What are you willing to compromise in order to get what you want? Are you willing to compromise your marriage? Are you willing to compromise your purity? Are you willing to compromise honesty to get ahead a little bit further, faster with your career? What are you willing to compromise? Let's not wait until the stakes are high and the cost is everything. Let's just go ahead and decide it now. I know I'm using a little bit of Dr. Phil reverse psychology on you here. But let's just go ahead and say, I'm going to compromise when the stakes are high. But let me challenge you. If you are willing to compromise you got to be willing to deal with the consequences of your compromise. Scripture says that each soul knows its own misery. Sometimes I look even at a good friend of mine who made a decision to leave his marriage and go get into a relationship with another person who is on the staff in his church. And I look at these pictures of his life on Facebook and everybody's smiling and it seems like everything is happy. But behind the scenes, behind the The highlight reel of his life is so much pain and sorrow. And scripture says that each soul knows its own misery. And there is a difference between standing before God and standing at the end of your life and looking back at the the legacy that has been left and knowing that you were faithful, knowing that you lived with integrity or looking back with great shame at the choices that you had made to compromise in order to get what you want. Sometimes I just need somebody to get up in my grill and challenge me to live the life that God is calling me to live. Anybody else need that from time to time? That today can be the day, a defining moment for you to put a stake in the ground and to say, God, I'm going to finish this race running across the finish line with your Help And so I want just to challenge you is the way that Billy Graham challenged a group of guys back in the 1950s. See, Billy Graham was this great hero of the faith who lived with integrity. And now as he's nearing the end of his life, this man, Billy Graham, is known for leading millions of people to faith in Christ. 
and he's known for his integrity. What is it about his life? See, I heard a story once that a group of people tried to nail Billy Graham for his integrity, and they got a picture of him alone with another woman. The picture came out to press, and they realized that that other woman was his daughter. And what we see is as this man is finishing strong, if you were to ask him what it is about his life, there was a decision that was made in a hotel room way back in the 1950s that Billy Graham and three other men wrote what was called the Modesto Manifesto as a way of saying we will not compromise. We will not compromise our purity. We will not fudge our numbers to make ourselves look better. We will not gossip and betray and turn our backs on other churches or other ministries. We will be above reproach in the way that we live. And that stake in the ground, that Modesto Manifesto became the moment when they decided that they were going to live with integrity. And now nearing the end, this life of integrity all can be traced back to this decision that was made in a hotel room almost 60 years ago. And today I believe we can have our own manifesto moment with God We can have our own decision before him that we will not compromise. And with his grace and with his help, we will finish this race strong. And so I want just to lead you through some some statements really that have been generated from my heart, even as I've been wrestling through this subject of integrity. What would it look like for me? to write my own manifesto before God, and there are 11 of them. And maybe you want to latch on to these as your own, just as a a way of saying, I'm going to, before God, I'm going to make these commitments today. Let me read them to you, and we'll put them on the website this week so you don't need to feel the pressure to write as fastly as I read. But number one is this. I will seek God's pleasure and favor above all things. I will fulfill His unique calling upon my life. The priority in my life will be to pursue God. Number two is this, that I will prioritize my marriage above all human relationships and love Stacy. Now you have to put a different word in there because I don't want you loving on my wife. I will love Stacy with my words and my actions. If you're married, maybe that would be true to you to prioritize your marriage above all other human relationships. I will prioritize my relationship with my children, sacrificing for and investing in them above all others, that they would stand on my shoulders. In the end, I don't want there to be anybody who has greater respect for me than my wife and my kids. Number four, I will protect myself sexually by guarding my eyes and having no inappropriate relationships, no secret Facebook accounts, no secret emails, My wife, she currently has access to everything so that there's no secret relationship that could develop. I will, number five, honor God with my finances, living generously in a trustworthy manner. Number six, I will be a man. For you, it might be a woman of my word. If you don't know, ask somebody. I will under promise and over deliver. I will seek to keep the relationships in my life clear. Number seven, straight from my heart, I will honor authority over me and I will leverage authority and influence given to me to bless and to serve other people. Number eight, I will physically discipline myself 
with eating and exercise. I will not compromise my body. And number nine, I will keep to seek a soft heart before God that is humble and teachable. I will forgive as I have been forgiven by God. Number 10, maybe the most important, because none of us are perfect. We want to live a better life, but none of us are perfect. And when I realize that there is a gap between who I am and who God wants me to be, I'll repent to those I've harmed, seek forgiveness, and get back on the path of life. And number 11, certainly not least, by God's grace and with his help, I will finish this race running through the finish line. That's what I want for my life, and that's what I want for your life. See, there's good news and bad news. Usually you put the bad news on the front end and the good news on the back end, but let me just share the good news with you first. The good news is that your story's not over. Your story, my story, our story is still being written. And because of the life of Christ and his death, burial and resurrection because God in human flesh the ultimate hero who lived with impeccable 100% integrity all the time laid his life down on a cross and the tomb is empty giving hope and forgiveness to all of humanity that the story can be written from this point forward yeah there will be pain that we have to overcome and consequences from our choices but this can be the day of a new story a better story for you and I The finish to our lives can be different than the start of our lives. Today, if you receive the grace of God, if you want to pursue Him with all your heart, Scripture says that God is waiting. He's knocking on the door of our hearts, wanting whoever will let Him in to come in. Today can be a new day for you. It can be the beginning of a new journey to a life of integrity. The bad news, I think the bad news that should cause all of us to quake and tremble is that it's not over and a good start doesn't guarantee a great finish we all saw this in the olympics i remember watching this race and there's this gal from ethiopia it's the 15,000 k and they all start out of the blocks and this girl from ethiopia is like at the middle of the pack and they're these people from somewhere else in the world i don't want to offend anybody but they get out of the blocks and they're ahead and they're killing it And about 50% of the way through the race, we see these people start to fall back. And then all of a sudden you see this Ethiopian woman who she's got like four or five people in front of her. And then on the last lap, the bell rings. And this woman bolts to the finish line and almost laps the people that she was just with and finishes strong. That's what I want for my life. And that's what I want for your life. A good start doesn't guarantee a great finish. So let today be a stake in the sand. Let it, let it be a moment of surrender before God to say, with your help, by your grace, I want to finish this race strong. I want to look back at the end of my life knowing that the wake that I left was the wake you wanted. That when I stand before you, what I want to hear is good, well done, good and faithful servant. Today, I believe that this is going to be a day changes marriages it changes the lives of singles it's a day that will change the pursuit of our careers it's a day that can change everything for us with every eye closed and every head bowed across this room for some of you it's the beginning of a new relationship with God it's just a surrendering of your heart by grace through faith not by hard work 
not by religion, but by saying, God, I'm yours. Today, if that's you, you want to begin a relationship with God, just confess to him, God, I want to make a decision to follow you. Jesus, I believe that you were crucified, rose again from the dead, and I put my faith and my hope in you. In this moment, that relationship can begin. God, thank you for your forgiveness for my past and a flood of his forgiveness will wipe the slate clean and peace can now become the rhythm and the heartbeat of your life. Peace with God by grace through his faith. If that's you today, all across the room, I just want to invite you to say with your hand lifted high, with eyes closed and head bows to say, God, I'm putting my faith in you today. I'm trusting in you for the first time. I'm following you. Hands high across the room. God, I'm all yours. I'm giving my life to you. I'm making a decision to follow you in this moment. I see your hands across the room. This is the beginning of a new journey. Uh, others of you across the room today, maybe the beginning of the journey for you is not so much relationship with God, but it's the pursuit of the path of integrity. And I just want to say a prayer over all of us today. God, if that's where we are today, I pray for a flood of your strength upon each life that is willing to put a stake in the ground and to make our own manifesto for you, before you of what we will not compromise. I pray that this truth would change the very nature of our relationships, the way we handle our finances, the way we relate to one another, the way we go about our work, that this would be a new day for us to run the race in such a way that we might finish strong and stand before you and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we pray?